Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, proud partner in personalized medicine, developing tailored treatments for cancer patients. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. Welcome to Yale Cancer Answers with Drs. Anise Chagpar and Stephen Gore. Yale Cancer Answers features the latest information on cancer care by welcoming oncologists and specialists who are on the forefront of the battle to fight cancer. This week, it's a patient perspective on head and neck cancers with Richard Brescia in a conversation with Dr. Chagpar, a professor of surgery at the Yale School of Medicine. So, Mr. Brescia, maybe we start things at the beginning. Tell me more about your story with the whole cancer journey and how that started. Oh, that, so you want to start at that beginning. There's a lot of beginnings when you're in your 80s. You yeah, okay. I, always, I always like the beginning that starts, once upon a time I was perfectly well, <laughs> yes. and then dot, dot, dot. Well, um, it happened uh, kind of fortuitously. I had a, a dental appointment, and uh, my dentist, in doing what dentists do and in inspecting what's in the mouth, didn't like the way my tongue was moving back and forth. Hmm. And she inquired as to whether or not I'd ever had a stroke. <clears throat> I said no, and she said, I think you have, and I want you to go to the emergency room right away. Uh, I said, uh, well, um, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to drive home. And she said, I'm going to call the emergency room for you and have them pick you up at your house. And she was good to her word. I told her I would go, but I, I didn't want to. I wanted to drive home first. So I drove home, and, and the uh, EMS people came and picked me up and took me up to um, Norwalk Hospital, where I went in and underwent several tests to find out about this stroke and what the impact was on the brain. Um, the test came, kept coming back, no stroke. Hmm. And um, at one point, my uh, cardiologist, who was on tour that day at the hospital, leaned into me and said, what are you doing here? And I told him. And he went out and came back about 10 minutes later. He said, I've just checked all your pictures. You, you haven't had a stroke. I said, OK, that's good. And then someone else came back and said, uh, it looks like you're all clear. You haven't had a stroke. But I want to have, they wanted me to take a, a um, I guess, a barium swallow test is what it was. And um, so I did. And then another test came back, not the barium swallow, but another one came back and said, no stroke. Uh, and it was about that time, because I had been having problems um, uh, swallowing and coughing, uh, that it occurred to me that if it wasn't a stroke, um, this may be a tumor. Um, and I, so in the back of my mind, I had settled on that. And then two of the um, physicians came in, I guess supporting each other, because it's never good news to pass along to a, a patient, um, that indeed I did have a, a very large tumor at the base of the, of the tongue. And I said, okay, <clears throat> what do we do now? And um, they suggested um, try to make contact with a, a couple of um, uh, hospitals uh, or whoever I wanted to make contact with for treatment, a diagnosis, a complete diagnosis and treatment. We, um, uh, I had had experience at Yale 
uh, back in the year 2000 when I had had uh, open heart surgery successfully. I'm here and uh, and, uh, and 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 with a wonderful doctor. Uh, and so I I had an affinity for Yale, and uh, we made a phone call to set up uh, an appointment with them. The dentist had a relationship with a, a, a major surgeon at uh, Sloan Kettering, and she called him and asked him to see me. And because they had worked together over the years for many times, he invited me in like two days later. There was about a two-year wait to get in to see this guy. Mm. <clears throat> and so I, I, we went to uh, Sloan Kettering first, uh, and um, he confirmed what, what was uh, diagnosed. And he said, the, um, uh, you have a tumor that uh, is inoperable, hmm. but treatable. He said, at your age, you, 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 couldn't, you wouldn't withstand the kind of operation that had to be done. But it can be treated. And we told him we were also going to talk to the folks at Yale. And he encouraged us to do that. He knew some other folks here. He had worked with them. And uh, we came um, and met the, um, the people here at Yale, uh, including uh, Barbara Burtness, who was uh, uh, the lead oncologist on my case, and many others. Um, and we decided we would, we would go to Yale uh, because of the comfort zone there, and also because it was um, a hell of a lot easier to get to New Haven from Norwalk than it was to get to downtown Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Having uh, commuted into New York for 40 years, I'm very familiar with that trek. So um, once we decided on where we wanted to go, um, that's how we wound up here at, uh, at Yale. And so... <clears throat> Were the recommendations and the diagnosis essentially the same between the two centers, or did you get a slightly different view of things at Memorial Sloan Kettering and at Yale? I ask this because a lot of people wonder about getting second opinions. Oh, I was very much into getting second opinions, and they um, confirmed each other. Mm -hmm. Which was, is always uh, reassuring. Yes, it was to me, yes. And so, so you saw the team both at Memorial and at at Yale, and you had had all of these tests done at Norwalk, including right. the barium swallow right. that was one of the initial tests that had found this mass. That, that's right. How did they know that it was cancer? Uh, they assumed it might be. Mm. Uh, it was Dr. Shaw in, uh, at Sloan Kettering that announced that it was, it was in all likelihood a cancerous tumor. And it was a very large tumor. And so did they do a biopsy to essentially diagnose it definitively? Or yes. was this something that they... No, the diagnosis was done here Okay. at Yale. When, when, I, when I made the decision to come in, they then laid out what the procedure would be. And the first thing was a, um, uh, a, um, a procedure to check and make sure that this was what they thought it was and what kind of a cancer it was. And so tell us more about that experience. What was that like? I can imagine that it's never incredibly pleasant. Were you awake? Were you asleep? Did it hurt? Did it not hurt? Was it a major surgery, a minor procedure? 
Tell us more about that. Well, I, uh, my guess is that it was uh, a minor one, but uh, I did have a major reaction to it. I can say that much. Um, the, um, uh, Dr. Yarbrough can uh, handle that here. And he had to go in and, and, and take uh, tissue out. And then, as they explained it to me, to diagnose the exact kind of cancer it was so they would know the kind of treatment to proceed. And I, obviously, I, I was out when the, when the procedure took place. But I, when, I, when I came to and was in the recovery, I, uh, it, I, I had the shakes, I, you know, and it was, I don't, didn't know what was going on. It was just coming out of it. Uh, but that was the only uh, distressing part of it. Uh, there was, you know, I'm, again, I was uh, anesthetized, so I, I, I didn't um, feel anything. Participate in the feeling aspects of it. Yes. Yeah, and then when they came back, I would assume a few days later, and told you that this was cancer and the type of cancer, you were already mentally prepared for that. Is that right? I was prepared for it before the, the doctors in Norwick Hospital told me. Mm. I just assumed that's what it was. And in the back of my mind, I, I had to have the discussion which said, okay, what do we do next? I wanted to be proactive. Uh, I, you know, I wasn't going to sit back and, and wait for a miracle to happen. So I wanted to find out the best way to go, which is why we went to Sloan and why we came here. And so when they finally did the biopsy and got the results, what did they tell you about the type of cancer you had and what your options were in terms of management? Well, uh, I can't recall what the terminology was, but they basically said um, uh, uh, the procedure we're going to follow is this. There's going to be a combination of, um, uh, of chemo and radiation. It will last for several weeks. And uh, and we'll see if we can diminish that or eliminate that that tumor, and that would be the plan. Um, uh, at that point, the I guess the key person I spent time with was uh, Dr. Burtness, and she would explain to me, you know, what was going on, and 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 she was the one that brought up the uh, issue of while I was going undergo this treatment, what I consider being part of a uh, trial that was going on. And when she brought that up, I, you know, my first reaction was, uh, is this going to help me? And she said, I can't tell you that it's going to help you um, because uh, you know, we, we just don't know. This is part of a research project. And um, so it's something that you have to decide on. You don't have to do it, but if, if you want to do it, we, we think it would be helpful. And in my mind, um, if I was going to go through the treatment anyway, and there was some ancillary benefit uh, for others, doctors and researchers who are dealing with this issue of cancer, uh, then there was a... Um, then there was a benefit to what I was going to be going through. I knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. And so I said, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll be part of the, um, of the trial. Yeah. You know, clinical trials are often something that's really scary for patients. But um, 
And not all clinical trials we know, we can't say that we know will benefit people. Although most people will benefit because we're always comparing standard of care to what we think right. might right. be better. Right. Did you know which group you were going to be in or how exactly the the trial was set up? It really didn't make any difference to me. So I didn't, I knew I was going to be part of it. And that was all. And um, uh, I figured if, and like you, I, I figured that in the long run, this might be a benefit uh, to me, but in the long run, it certainly was going to be a benefit um, to, to people, people like you and other people who are trying to find a cure Absolutely. for cancer. Yeah. Absolutely. And so um, being part of that trial, once you had decided that you were going to do this, it wasn't scary? No. And so how was the treatment? I mean, a lot of people... Even the word chemo just brings up terrifying <laughs> images of I'm going to be bald, I'm going to be sick, I'm going to be bedridden. How was that experience for you? Well, um, the chemo was once a week, as you know, and um, the radiation was five days a week. And that went on for, I guess it was eight weeks, something like that. Um, the... Um, the radiation uh, made more of an impact on me, I believe, than the uh, than the chemo. Although I did, uh, I did have a reaction to the chemo and a breakdown in my skin and things like that. But the um, um, the radiation um, really uh, knocked me for a loop, uh, particularly toward the end. And there were uh, a few days at the end of the eight-week period where I had to um, be in a wheelchair to get from the car and into, into Yale. Oh, my goodness. Well, we're going to take a short break for a medical minute, but we're going to pick up the story right after this. Support for Yale Cancer Answers comes from AstraZeneca, committed to researching innovative treatments to address unmet needs in head and neck cancer. Learn more at AstraZeneca-US.com. This is a Medical Minute about survivorship. Completing treatment for cancer is a very exciting milestone, but cancer and its treatment can be a life-changing experience. For cancer survivors, the return to normal activities and relationships can be difficult, and some survivors face long-term side effects resulting from their treatment, including heart problems, osteoporosis, fertility issues, and an increased risk of second cancers. Resources are available to help keep cancer survivors well and focused on healthy living. More information is available at YaleCancerCenter.org. You're listening to Connecticut Public Radio. Welcome back to Yale Cancer Answers. This is Dr. Anise Chagpar, and I'm joined tonight by my guest, Richard Brescia. We're talking about his journey with cancer. And right before the break, he was telling us about how a dentist, of all things in the world, had noticed that his tongue was moving in an awkward way, thought initially that this was a stroke, but lo and behold, it turned out to be a large tumor at the base of his tongue. He sought a couple of opinions at Memorial Sloan Kettering and here at Yale and decided to pursue therapy here uh, with a clinical trial looking at chemotherapy and radiation therapy uh, for his cancer. Now, Mr. Brescia, right before the break, you were starting <clears throat> to tell us a little bit about some of the side effects. 
a lot of people wouldn't expect to land in a wheelchair. Tell us a bit more about what exactly happened and and how you were kind of thrown for a loop, as you say. Well, uh, there was a, a tremendous amount of fatigue that that set in uh, toward the end as the as the radiation was accumulating accumulating. Um, and, I'm, and I'm sure in combination with, with the chemo. And so with the fatigue, I, I had difficulty moving around. And so for maybe three or four days uh, for a period of time, um, I would have to get in a wheelchair to be brought in for the, um, for the radiation treatment. And so, so was that something that you had expected or was that something that you were completely unprepared for? Uh, I can't say I was unprepared for it because uh, I, I knew this was going to be difficult. Uh, I'd had friends go through a similar thing in, in the past. I was never that close to them when, when they were experiencing what I was experiencing. But um, uh, so I wasn't surprised that, uh, that there was an impact. Um, I was a little disappointed, but, uh, but you know, I figured this is part of the part of the drill. So uh, the cancer wasn't going to be uh, an easy tumor to remove, and so I, I I knew that you know just press ahead and get through with it. Yep. And and did you have the opportunity while you were going through this? Some people will be part of support groups and so on, where they'll have other patients who might be sharing some of their experiences to kind of prepare them a little bit. Did you have that opportunity or avail yourself of that, or do you I, think I, that would have been helpful? I think it was uh, available, uh, but it was something that I didn't avail myself of. Uh, I had tremendous support from the family. Mm -hmm. uh, my wife was uh, you know, particularly important. Uh, and then um, my three kids and their spouses and even some of their kids were, um, were, were very um, supportive um, and they, they would travel from Washington or Boston uh, to, to visit with me and to see how I was doing. And then the rest of there's an extended family there, you know, nieces, nephews, nephews and nieces, and um, and they all kind of congregated around me and wanted to know how I was doing. So I think that was, from a psychological point of view, um, important to me uh, to know that there was that much support going on. Yeah. You know, talk a little bit more about that, because I think from the standpoint of people who are trying to support people with cancer, sometimes it's difficult to know what exactly should we say, what exactly should we do. What advice do you have for people in that regard? Well, you know, somebody asked me about um, um, whether or not we uh, uh, were offered uh, a transportation uh, from our home in, in Norwalk to come to New Haven. Uh, and I said no. Um, and they, they want to know if I would, you know, if I thought I needed it. And I said, no, I didn't need it. And then I um, uh, shared that with my wife and my, um, my kids. And I said, what do you mean you didn't need it? You weren't driving. <laughs> and so to answer your question, what they said was, if you had some sort of vehicle to bring you, and we could sit in the back seat with you on the way to the hospital, 
we can go over questions we have in our mind and you have in yours to make sure that when we're talking, whether it's Dr. Burtness or Yarbrough or uh, Hussein or whoever we are talking with, that we get the right questions out and we get the answers. And that made a lot of sense to me, um, after the fact, of course. But um, so, uh, and, and, and indeed we did do that. Um, Patsy, my wife, was with me all the time. And, uh, and she had a list of questions she wanted to make sure that she got the answers for um, that would complement uh, my own uh, questions that I had. Yeah, we often find that it's very helpful to bring somebody along to appointments because some of the information that you might not hear, they pick up on and vice versa. And did you find that you to be are the case? absolutely 100% right. Uh, both my... Uh, my wife and my daughter, the, the oldest Bonnie, would say after we would do a review of what went on that day, uh, well, what about this? And I'd say, what do you mean? She said, well, we had a little conversation about that. And it, it was something that I, I just didn't register with me. And so that was very important. Uh, and so someone was always with me. I, I couldn't agree with you more. You, you should always have uh, at least one of the members of the family or someone you, you trust to be with you so that you can share afterwards. Yeah, and oftentimes they bring a notebook, which is really helpful. They did. They did. And, and, and despite the fact that uh, I think my attitude was good going through, there was still the, uh, the tension of knowing you're fighting cancer. Mm -hmm. and, and so you aren't always as focused as you normally would be. Yeah. Talk more about that and how you kind of dealt with some of those fears. I mean, it seems to me that you were very proactive right from the get-go. You knew or suspected that this was cancer even before it was diagnosed and were very methodical about seeking treatment. But that lingering fear, how did you psychologically deal with that? What advice might you give to other patients who might be struggling with the same? Well, it's hard to put yourself in someone else's uh, shoes, but um, in my case, uh, I knew that I, uh, I had to be a part of the solution, and I've, I've been that way through my career, and so I had to be very proactive in it. I had to do what I could do and understand the progress that was being made and understand the challenges that uh, I still had to, had to meet. It was um, it was part of the process. So I was not, um, I did not fear the the fact that that it was cancer and and it could be fatal. Uh, I decided to fight it and um, and be part of the team with the with the doctors here at Yale. And I I imagine that you know as you said a vital part of that team is your family. Talk about um, kind of the the burdens that that placed on them, especially as you were fatigued, ended up in a wheelchair. I'm, I'm thinking about people who may be in similar situations who, you know, might have to deal with issues at work, issues at home. And it's just a compounding thing on top of an already scary diagnosis. Uh, in my uh, perspective, from my personal point of view, uh, there was another issue at play here, and that was, can I help 
teach um, my family and my friends who were, who were being supportive of me of how to go through something like this. Can I be a, a, a good example uh, of, um, and I'm not looking for sainthood here, but that, but that was in my mind. Right. Uh, that how I handle this thing um, can be helpful to, to them in handling other problems that they may have in the future. So that was an important ingredient for me. Yeah, I think that that certainly may have helped you in terms of facing that fear, yes. having that resilience and the tenacity and the idea of using what is a teachable moment to right. set an example right. um, for your family. So you went through chemotherapy and radiation for eight weeks. And at the end of that, they must have done scans and so on. Tell us about that and uh, the anxiety that that may have provoked and what what the findings were. Well, I certainly was anxious to find out what happened. <laughs> and uh, and uh, uh, Dr. Burtness uh, was happy to share with me right off the bat that the tumor had been diminished to the point where we thought it was almost all gone. And Dr. Yarborough uh, went down there and took a peek and said, yeah, we think we got it. We think we've got the whole tumor. And so ultimately, did you have surgery to remove it once it had shrunk, or was it so small that you didn't need to do I that? I think it was so small we didn't have to do anything. So there was no surgery needed, uh, and we thought that the cancer was uh, you know, under arrest. Um, several months later, um, a couple of lymph nodes popped up uh, again, uh, and they were down in the chest area. And... Um, and so Dr. Burtness, uh, I had two options at that point. One of them was to do an intense five-day uh, radiation or to go through the same eight weeks I did before. And I shared with uh, Dr. Hussein here, I said, we'll go for the five days and, and try to get that over with. Uh, I didn't want to give up a whole other summer uh, with the family. And so we did that, and then... Um, uh, that seemed to work pretty well, and and uh, and then Dr. Burtness uh, recommended that we um, uh, go on a Keytruda um, uh, treatment, which I'm uh, which I'm on right now. But all of that seems to have worked on the um, the ancillary tumors that had come up in in the lymph nodes, and say so they they seem to be uh, under arrest or they diminished dramatically. So hopefully that continues. You know the the transition between acute treatment, you know, getting radiation five days a week and chemotherapy every week, to okay, looks like this is good. You're on maintenance now is sometimes a little scary for patients because it's like, what do you mean? I was all, always under constant surveillance. Tell us about that transition to this survivorship period for you. Well, it's, uh, uh, you know, every three weeks I have an infusion uh, with a Keytruda, uh, and we will be doing another uh, PET scan oh, in about a month, I think, or three, no, less than that, uh, just to see where we are. And at that point, I will um, rely on my friend Barbara Burtness to tell me what the next, uh, uh, you know, what the next step is. But um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm treating it the way I treated the initial 
uh, treatment, and that is this is uh, working to try to uh, you know prolong the life and my quality of life, and and so let's let's keep with it. And so with the the Keytruda that you're on now, and you're getting these infusions every three weeks as kind of a maintenance. Have the doctors given you an idea of how long that will continue? I will find out in about three weeks, I think, yeah. When they look at the scans? Yeah, yeah. And so right now you haven't been having any side effects from that? You've been merrily running around? No, no, no. I've had had, uh, uh, side effects. Uh, the um, uh, one of the side effects from uh, from Keytruda is uh, fatigue, mm. and um, it's almost like clock, clockwork. Uh, about two days after uh, each infusion, um, I am without any energy at all. I am really oh depleted, <laughs> and that lasts about a day, and then I gradually come back. But but. I had been warned that that was one of the uh, issues that that I might have to deal with. Talk a little bit about how you maintain some semblance of a normal life while you're going through this in terms of, you know, eating right and exercising and making sure that you have a positive outlook in life. Because a lot of people, when they go through cancer, those are kinds of the things that they want to know about is, am I ever going to be quote unquote normal? And how am I going to readjust to this new normal that I am after cancer? I've stayed very active. I'm active with the family. I'm active with um, uh, the city that we're part of, um, part of an an administration in in the city's government. And so I stay busy there. Richard Brescia is a cancer survivor. If you have questions, the address is canceranswers at yale.edu, and past editions of the program are available in audio and written form at yalecancercenter.org. We hope you'll join us next week to learn more about the fight against cancer here on Connecticut Public Radio.